1: I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in.
2: It's 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here's your top five at five. Wall Street waking up in the black eye after the Dow did something for the first time since January 2021. The future is marginally higher. President Biden not giving up yet. New comments this morning about recession odds and surging prices. Speaking of a surge, the rapid rise in mortgage rates not slowing down, hitting their highest level since the Great Recession. Plus, the overall market may be down, but tech is down even more. Still, that's not stopping Mark Mahaney from laying out his mega cap picks and later tracking the crypto winter with Bitcoin trading at its lowest level in years. It's Friday, June 17th, 2022, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Good morning. I'm Courtney Reagan. In this morning for Brian Sullivan, thanks for joining us wherever you may be watching. Kicking off your Friday morning, stock futures are higher. And this was after another down day on Wall Street Thursday with yesterday's broad-based sell-off. Saw the Dow shed more than 740 points to close below the 30,000 level for the first time since January of 2021. Worse for the broader S&P 500. Right now, futures are indicating a higher open. The Dow Jones higher by more than 250 points. Things were really bad yesterday at the Nasdaq. It ended up losing significantly more than what we saw at the Dow and the S&P 500. The Nasdaq losing more than 4 percent on the session, again, indicated higher here, at least so far this morning. For the week, the Dow is down more than 4.5 percent. The S&P is down 6 percent, both on pace for their worst weekly performances since 2020. Meantime, the Nasdaq down more than 6% this week on its pace for worst week since January. Ahead of the open, here is where we stand. From the all-time highs, Dow off 19%, S&P 500 off 23%, Nasdaq off 34%. Let's get a check on yields this morning. Of course, this was Fed Week, and we saw the Federal Reserve raise interest rates by three-quarters of a percent. We've got the two-year yield standing at 3.176, the 10-year yield at 3.224 percent. Let's get a check on things in the energy patch and check the oil market with crude oil prices, of course, continually in focus and the derivative of crude, those prices at the pump. But crude this morning up about eight tenths of a percent to one hundred and eighteen dollars and fifty two cents. Ice Brent crude higher by seven tenths of a percent, almost at one hundred and twenty one dollars a barrel. Let's get a look at the crypto market. A lot of attention here as well. Where we are seeing Bitcoin and Ether this morning, well, Ether is a little lower by the tune of three-tenths of a percent, and Bitcoin is higher by about seven-tenths of a percent, so Bitcoin's standing above the 21,000 mark. And we're going to talk about this a little bit later on in the show. But for now, let's get a check around the world. JP Ong is in Singapore with the overnight action in Asia and yet another key central bank decision. And Juliana Tannenbaum is in our London newsroom with the early trade in Europe. JP, let's start with you.
3: Good morning, Courtney. And yes, today was a tale of two sets, I guess, of markets here in the Asia-Pacific. On one hand, you saw most indices from Tokyo to Taipei lose ground, but greater Chinese markets actually booking pretty impressive gains. It could be also that weak handoff on Wall Street where we, as you mentioned, stocks that are actually falling on the back of concerns that if the Fed gets even more hawkish, this could actually raise the possibility of a a potential recession in the United States. Here in Asia, though, it was mostly about the Bank of Japan in terms of central banks. And the BOJ today decided to keep policy rates unchanged and ultra loose and accommodative. Now, while the Japanese yen, as you can see here, actually weakened as expected, the Nikkei 225 and exporters failed to take some strength from that and actually closed with pretty solid losses. Even the likes of Sony And Honda were not spared the sell-off today, despite the fact that both firms finalized and signed a joint venture to start producing electric vehicles by 2025. Another notable loser today, the world's largest chipmaker, TSMC, uh, in in Taipei. But we did also see that while uh, markets in Sydney and Seoul fell, greater Chinese stocks like Shanghai and Shenzhen actually closed higher today, and even the Hang Seng was buoyed specifically by the Hang Seng Tech Index. In sharp contrast to the Nasdaq, we saw many of these tech shares in China actually book solid gains, the likes of Meituan and JD.com actually looking very solid and surging at the close in Hong Kong. However, there is one area in Hong Kong that actually took a, took a bit of a black eye, and that's casino stocks among the few losers. This, after Fitch downgraded their outlook on both SJM and SANS China due to uncertainty. As to, as to when the uh, Macau gaming sector can actually recover. That's the roundup of what happened here in Asia. Uh, Courtney, back to you.
2: Thank you very much, JP. Well, to the early action in Europe now and our Juliana Tannenbaum. Juliana, what's going on over there?
4: Hey, Courtney, it's great to see you. European equities are marching higher this morning. Seems like we're really tracking U.S. futures. We've got a rebound underway, and it's broad-based. The DAX is out in front, about 1.2% higher. Yesterday, we saw notable losses for the DAX, the FTSE 100, and the FTSE MIB. All three of those indices dropped more than 3% yesterday. But to put this into context, coming into today's session, the stock 600, the main benchmark, is down nearly 5% on the week. So, yes, we are gaining some ground, but we have not made up all the losses that have come through in the lead up to today's trading session. From a sector perspective, this is what the breakdown looks like. We've got every sector trading in the green now. Basic resources just turning so teetering around the flat line. Uh, on the upside, we have real estate recovering pretty strongly this morning, up about 2.8% alongside technology and banks. We're seeing particularly strong demand for the italian lenders today some lingering demand on the back of the ecb's emergency meeting earlier in the week where they pledged to address this fragmentation risk which should support italian bond markets and in turn italian lenders one thing to watch courtney as i hand it over to you uh, natural gas prices in europe we're on the rise again today as concern around russian gas supply into europe become center stage once again
2: Wow, natural gas, gas prices have really been on quite a run. But otherwise, it's sort of refreshing to see the rest of the green happening in Europe this morning. Juliana, <laughs> thank you very much. Let's turn back to Wall Street with the S&P 500 potentially facing its worst week since March 20. 20- Twenty. Remember that time? According to Bespoke, more than half of the stocks in the S&P 500 are now trading below their pre-COVID highs from February 2020 or earlier. The hardest hit sectors, consumer discretionary, financials and industrials, which have all given up their post-COVID gains. Joining me now, Robert Teeter, head of the investment policy and strategy group at Silvercrest Asset Management, and Kevin Caroni, senior portfolio manager at Washington Crossing Advisors. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us this morning. Kevin, I guess I'll start with you, obviously. A very big week for the markets generally and the economy. Finally, hearing what the Federal Reserve had decided to do, and it was that three quarters of a percentage basis point rate hike, which was expected initially. The markets moved higher, and then yesterday we sold off very strongly. Today, we're seeing a little bit of an uptick. What does it tell you? Is the market just not confident that the Federal Reserve and the tools that it has can curb inflation and keep us from sliding into a recession?
5: Well, I think the, I think the, the market has taken a, has taken uh, taken everything that has come from the Fed this year and digested it. The market was essentially asleep as far as as forward rate expectations was concerned early this year, um, but ultimately now the market has woken up. The, the question from here is going to be, well, what happens to the economy? So, as of now, the economy seems okay in some respects. In other respects, there's some concern. If, if you look at, for example, the strong dollar, you've had a big uh, pullback in industrial metal, metals prices down about 20 percent. And, uh, of course, when you think about like mortgage rates, for example, we would anticipate that you'd have some slowing in housing. So there's starting to be an effect of all of this tightening that's going to show up in the, in the economy to some extent. The question will be if S&P earnings roll over, which have actually held up really well. We would, have, we would expect then another leg down. If not, and the Fed hasn't engineered what they're hoping to see as, a, as a, a soft landing, we could have seen the worst of the declines behind us. So the market is very choppy. We don't know what to... So the market's trying to figure out, for example, credit spreads, where do they go? Uh, we're, we're just at a point now where the next question is going to be whether the market decline actually culminates in an actual economic decline and the jury's still out on that. So that's why you're getting all this chop.
2: You know, Robert, I understand what Kevin's saying, and I know the jury's out and we still have a lot of questions. I'm just wondering, do you think it's possible that we could actually be talking ourselves into a recession? It seems as if the fears are bigger than what's actually happening right now. We've got very low unemployment rates. Consumers are still spending. There are plentiful jobs. Even though we have very strong inflation, the market seems to be selling off more on fear than actuality. Can we stem this fear and prevent a recession?
1: I think that's possible. And the way it happens is to stem the fear on inflation. So I agree with you. The real-time economic metrics look quite solid. Um, they've been declining a bit, but they're not anywhere near recession territory when you look at consumer spending and some of the real-time metrics. The problem is that the market is factoring in this consistent march from the Fed, who's really appro- uh, can, can communicated excuse me, uh, a very high degree of seriousness with regard to fighting inflation. And the concern is that these, these consecutive hikes will, in fact, slow the economy at some point. So I think we're at a very critical, window here, a race between inflation and the economy. If we can see some CPI prints that come in a bit lower than expectations or a bit lower than planned, uh, we might get some relief on the valuation front. But it's a really critical window of time here for the economy to hang in for the next few months and hope that we start to see some green shoots on inflation cooling down.
2: And Kevin, you know, this could be a very critical time, too, for investors, dependent on your time horizon, of course, as always. What do you think is pertinent for investors to be doing, to be considering right now? Is this a time, even though it's hard to do and hard to swallow, where we should be putting money to work because we can take advantage of lower prices? Or is there further room that we could be falling, which then makes it a dangerous time? Help give us some actionable advice for our viewers.
5: Sure. So if you have some dry powder and want to stage into the market, that makes a lot of sense. Ultimately, though, the types of companies you want to bu- uh, be buying into here, in case you do have another leg down that spreads into the economy, then what you would want to be doing is making sure that the companies you're buying, many of which have pulled back sharply, your, your earlier segments show that 50 percent of the S&P 500 companies are now uh, back to, I think it was to their post-COVID highs. If that's true, this is a buyer's market, but it's a stock picker's market. And when you go buy stocks in the event that there, there is a more uh, difficult period for the economy ahead, make sure the companies have very low debt, make sure that they are, have profits in terms of their assets, that their assets are very profitable. And make sure the businesses are consistent. And I think if you do that and you see it through to the other side, you're, you you could be coming into the market and buying at a, a good good level here. But the economy does have to hold together. I I, compl- I completely understand that um, prices are better, uh, but as. as as we've been talking about, if if this does get worse and you start to see S&P 500 earnings forecasts, for example, slip, and I'll just reiterate, they've been very, Mm -hmm. very solid. You would want to make sure that you own very, very high quality companies.
2: Got it. That's all the time we have, unfortunately, for this segment. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Stay close to us as things change. Robert Teeter and Kevin Caron. Thank you. Let's get to some of this morning's top stories. Pippa Stevens is here with more. Good morning, Pippa.
6: Good morning, Courtney. First up, we've got new comments from President Biden on the state of the U.S. economy, telling the Associated Press a recession is, quote, not inevitable and pushing back on assertions from the opposite party that last year's COVID-19 aid package is to blame for inflation hitting 40-year highs. One reason for optimism, according to the White House, the 3.6 percent unemployment rate. And Snap is reportedly working on a new premium paid subscription service called Snapchat Plus. According to The Verge, the company is currently carrying out early internal testing of the new service, which would allow users to access new features early along with other premium perks. Shares of Snap are up about 2 percent this morning, but still down sharply for the year. And investors are pulling massive amounts of cash from corporate bond funds leading up to and in the wake of the Federal Reserve's latest rate decision. According to data provider EPFR, for the week to June 15th, investors withdrew $6.6 billion from funds that buy lower quality, high yield U.S. bonds. That's the biggest week of outflow since March 2020. Outflows for funds that buy U.S. investment-grade debt hit $2.1 billion over the same time, the largest one-week total since April 2021. Courtney, investors clearly heading towards the exits.
2: Yeah, those are some pretty big stats since March 2020. Again, that week always sort of, or that month rather, always uh, scares me a little bit. Thank you very much, Pippa. Well, when we come back, no thaw in sight as the crypto winter rolls on. What the recent sector downturn could mean for the broader markets and your money. Plus, a 30% sell-off in tech, not stopping Mark Mahaney from laying out his top picks for the sector. An interview you can't afford to miss, that's ahead. And later, a mortgage market mess with rates at their highest level since the Great Recession, but... What about home prices? Our Diana Olick is here with A Closer Look. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns.
7: What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com/slash find your rich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
0: Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until the Singapore presentation is at
6: 3 a.m.
0: The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep
2: A check on some of the biggest names in tech. Taking it on the chin and extending losses yesterday ahead of the open here is where we stand. From 52-week highs, Meta Platforms down 58%, Apple down 29%, Amazon down 45%, Netflix off 75%, and Alphabet 30% lower. Well, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are stabilizing today after what's been a rough week for the space, to say the least. Bitcoin is down almost 30 percent just this week as interest rates rise and investors sell off riskier assets. The crypto market has swooned since Bitcoin hit an all-time high of nearly $59,000 back in mid-November, right around the time the Fed and other central banks pivoted and turned hawkish. Since then, Bitcoin is down roughly 70 percent, while Ether has dropped about 80 percent. Adding to the stress this week, crypto lender Celsius freezing all withdrawals. Reuters reports, reports securities regulators in five states are probing that decision. The Wall Street Journal says investors are unlikely to bail out Celsius. So let's talk about all of this now with Clara Medali. She's director of research at Keiko, a crypto data provider. Clara, thank you very much for joining us. You know, Just when you start to think that you understand the cryptocurrency market, something like this week happens and all of it goes out the window. It seems to me that cryptocurrencies were supposed to be this alternative asset class. They were supposed to offer a safe haven of sorts. But as everything else seemingly fell in the equity space, so, too, did all of these other cryptocurrencies for both fundamental, perhaps, and other reasons. What's going on here and when is it going to change?
7: Uh, Great question. I think that's what everyone wants to know. I would say fully agree that Bitcoin is definitely not proving itself in a high inflation environment right now. It all started, I would say, earlier this year when all risk assets started to sell off. Um, Really bad macro conditions, high inflation, we're having rising rates. Um, And of course, investors want to divest out of these riskier assets. However, I think the headlines over the past week have been particularly bad for markets. You have the Fed's huge rate hike, the highest one in almost 28 years. Then you have Celsius and its possible insolvency. So Celsius is majorly uh, important for crypto markets. Um, It's involved with many key players, both in the decentralized and centralized financial side of crypto. So we'll see what happens over the next week. Um, But the possible insolvency could definitely have ripple effects for weeks to come.
2: And not just the insolvency, but we're talking about layoffs at Coinbase and Crypto.com and BlockFi and Gemini this week and prior weeks. I mean, does this suggest to you that the entire cryptocurrency space is just considerably less stable, even fundamentally, than what we had all originally thought or potentially hoped it to be?
7: So I think that when it comes to layoffs at exchanges, I predict that these are likely preemptory exchanges are still some of the most profitable cryptocurrency companies in the industry. I mean, I'm sure with this current volatility, they're still earning very high revenues. Um, It's more in anticipation for a future bear market, um, in which case volumes will likely fall. Um, And the number one revenue source for these exchanges is still transaction fees. So they're doing these preemptory layoffs just uh, in anticipation of what's to come. I mean,
2: putting that all together, then it doesn't really look like cryptocurrency is the space that you want to invest invest right now if you're looking for your assets to increase. I- am I wrong? Uh,
7: I would say most investors are waiting and just taking a wait and see approach. Uh, it is still highly volatile. And I think people need to wait for all the uh, the leverage to be flushed out of the system. We see a lot of possible funds that could be unwinding and collapsing. Um, and also with Celsius, we don't know yet how low it can go because there's still a lot of assets that could be liquidated on their end.
2: Lastly, here, before we let you go, you know, I think the the idea of a stable coin, just even the nomenclature of that seems to be a little misleading because many of them don't seem so stable recently. Is that an area that is even more risky than what we had originally thought when we're sort of talking about a subsector
7: of the crypto space? Well, I definitely think algorithmic stablecoins have proved that the current model that exists simply don't work. We saw that with the collapse of US Terra. Um, when it comes to other centralized stablecoins like Tether and USDC, um, they're still they're still they haven't depegged fully. They're down a little bit, but there's still I would say enough trust in the system to maintain them. They're very systemically important for markets today. Um, so I think for now everything is okay. But you know I would say in crypto nothing is certain. We'll see what happens over the next few months
2: does seem you need a bit of a strong stomach to play in this space, particularly right now. Claire Medali, thank you for joining us this morning.
7: Thank you for having me.
2: Well, still on deck, your big money movers, including a streaming stock, set the surge at the open. Find out which one on Worldwide Exchange Returns.
0: Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at... <laughs> 3 a.m. The office was shocked. (laughs) That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at Canva.com. Designed for work. It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home, and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating
2: Time now for your Big Money Mover, some of the big stock stories of the morning. First up, Adobe, the maker of Photoshop, Illustrator, and other creative and marketing software, reporting better than expected second quarter results on strong demand. But guidance for the third quarter and the rest of the year is a bit soft. Adobe is feeling the effects of rising currency headwinds and fallout from the war in Ukraine as it stopped sales in Russia and Belarus, shares down about 3%. Up next, Roku and Walmart, they're teaming up to let people use their remote to buy items while streaming shows on Roku devices. You can click on a shoppable ad, place an order on Walmart's Walmart's checkout page, and get email confirmation with shipping information. The system will use Roku's payment platform. Shares of both are up the Roku up Almost four and a half percent, Walmart up marginally. Finally, U.S. Steel shares are higher as the company expects second quarter profits to top analyst estimates. Results being driven by high steel prices, especially early in the quarter, and rising demand. U.S. Steel echoing similar comments by rivals Nucor and Steel Dynamics. Shares higher by more than five and a half percent. Let's get a check on this morning's other headlines. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with the latest. Good morning, Francis.
8: Hi, Courtney. Good morning. We start with police in Alabama. They're investigating a shooting at a church that has left at least two people dead and one other injured. Authorities say it happened last night at St. Stephen's Episcopal Church in the Vestavia Hills community. Police say the suspect is in custody and there is no threat to the public. The third round of hearings from the January 6th committee focused on chilling information from aides to former Vice President Mike Pence. In newly released testimony, advisors detailed a private phone call between former President Trump and Pence where the president berated Pence for refusing to reject the 2020 election results. And the Warriors are celebrating their seventh NBA title in franchise history. Golden State beat the Celtics 103 to 90 to win game six and capture their fourth championship in eight years. Steph Curry was named Finals MVP for a Friday to end the week, Courtney. Those are your news headlines. We send it back to you.
2: Thank you very much, Francis. I did see that news early this morning. Didn't uh, stay up late enough to see the game (laughs) coming up ahead. The White House reportedly crafting a plan to take on surging fuel prices. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, you can check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. We'll be right back. Futures pointing to a rebound with stocks on track for their worst week since March 2020. Tech falling deeper into correction now more than 30 percent from its all-time high. But Mark Mahaney is here with some stock picks he says are a buy at these levels. And tracking the mortgage market mess with rates surging to nearly 14-year highs. But what about home prices? It's Friday, June 17th, 2022, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange here on CNBC. Welcome back. I am Courtney Reagan in for Brian Sullivan this morning. Thank you for joining joining us no matter where you are watching us in the world or listening to us. Here's how stock futures are looking halfway through the 5 a.m. hour. In New York, we are seeing a higher open looking possible, at least at this point. The Dow Jones Industrial Average higher by 240 points. S&P 500 indicated higher by 36. And the Nasdaq higher by 123 points. And this does come after a pretty rough session for the major averages. That's all the Dow closed below 30,000 for the first time since January of 2021. For the week... The Dow is down more than four and a half percent, on pace for its worst weekly performance since October 2020. The S&P is down six percent this week, tracking for its worst week since March 2020, and the Nasdaq, well, down more than six percent just this week, on pace for its worst week since January. Ahead of the open, here's where we stand from all-time highs: the Dow off 19 percent, S&P 500 down 23 percent, and the Nasdaq 34 percent
6: off those all-time highs.
2: Well, some of the mornings other top headlines Pippa Stevens is back with
6: those. Good morning again, Pippa. Good morning, Courtney. Well, the White House is reportedly considering limits on gasoline and diesel fuel being exported from the United States. This of course comes as the Biden administration ramps up criticism of big oil company profits and soaring prices amid these soaring prices at the pump and mortgage rates hitting their highest levels in more than 13 years. The average rate on a 30-year fixed-rate housing loan now stands at 5.78 percent. That's up from 5.23 percent a week before, marking the biggest weekly increase since 1987. And Elon Musk meeting virtually yesterday with Twitter employees as he pushes forward with his planned $44 billion takeover of the social media company. Among the topics discussed, free speech, possible layoffs, and remote work. The majority of Twitter's employees are entirely remote or hybrid. Musk has been an outspoken critic of working from home and reportedly told Twitter staff yesterday that remote work is only fine for someone who is exceptional at their job. Courtney, you know, the future of work here is a very polarizing topic.
2: It really is, isn't it? It's very interesting to hear different takes from different people. And sometimes you see some very clear divisions between who believes in what. Thank you very much, Pippa. Well, turning to the rising rate environment and the consumer, the discretionary sector showing very little signs of strength in recent weeks, down more than 20 percent from its most recent high. But despite the recent weakness, consumer spending actually remains strong in the face of surging inflation and interest rates. But is the story about to change? And could there be more pain ahead for retail stocks as a result. Joining me now is Stacey Woodlitz. She's president of SW Retail Advisors and Oliver Chen, senior retail analyst at Cowan. Thank you both for joining us. You know, Stacey, I'm going to start with you. As we heard from so many different retailers during the quarter, it was almost hard to come up with a common theme because it seemed very story dependent, depending on which retailer was reporting and what they were seeing. Didn't matter, though. Stocks almost seemed to fall at least all together afterwards, once sort of the dust cleared. Is there anywhere to invest in retail right now? Or are the fears going to come true when it comes to consumer spending?
9: Well, you know, Courtney, I think the one common theme that we saw was that inventories are out of control. So, you know, we saw the average spread up 20 percent, inventories up more than sales by 20%, at least. Some are way worse than that. Ironically, the department stores are the cleanest out there, who would have thought? Um, But I think at this moment, we're going to continue to see a clearing of inventory. However, if we think about the back half of the year and holiday, this is a wake-up call to retailers, and perhaps they put the brakes on the inventory purchases and get very conservative about second half of the year, and then once again, we're looking at product shortages like we saw during COVID. But I think there are names that you can invest in if you're in it for the long term and names that have margin power long term, like a Nike that's going DTC increasingly. And we'll we'll hear from them um, in a couple of weeks. So, you know, luxury, I think you also you have to look for your opportunities there. There's no doubt, though, that we're going to see a wealth effect at some point. And lastly, I would say if, you know, we can't buy cars because credit is so much harder to come by, you know, you have to look at something like an AutoZone because what we're seeing in stores across the board is people are fixing stuff rather than buying new stuff.
2: Hmm, Very interesting points. You know, Oliver, I know that you talk a lot about a bifurcated market with strength potentially on the low end and the high end, but even the high end has really started to see trends break, at least when it comes to the stock prices, even though some of these conglomerate companies that trade in Europe are still reporting pretty strong results. Is the high end breaking down?
1: We're still seeing a lot of great momentum, Courtney, in the high end in terms of pricing and the ability to achieve pricing. We really like brands such as LVMH. We also like uh, names like Canada Goose as well, which has been able to pass through pricing to consumers. So we're selective at the high end, and it's something we're watching. The wealth effect is a factor Uh, But brands with equity still have lots of leverage. And we really have a going out opportunity, going out stocks. That's a a real movement in terms of people looking for swimsuits and suitcases instead of sweatpants. Uh, That's really happening. The other thing that we'd say is investing in your face, beauty. Uh, That's a very good category as well. A retailer that we like there is Ulta. And as we think about the low end, uh, value is very, very important. Grocery Outlet and Planet Fitness are great ideas as well in terms of what we're recommending.
2: Oliver, that is an interesting point about going out. And I know that we have so many years where it felt like we were just stuck inside and have some of this pent up demand. And so maybe we want to update our wardrobes or update our our makeup and and hair routines. But if we move into a recession, does all that change?
1: Well, gas prices is something to watch for sure. Um, That's a factor which could negatively impact traffic. However, there's a lot of newness and beauty, and we have a lot of new customers in this field as well, and it's a lower ticket item, as you know. And Courtney, um, we've covered Walmart and Target and Costco for a long time. Um, these are actually great business models, uh, w- which are a lot less expensive, and as interest rates grow up, they could be nice defensive opportunities as well so there's something to watch as well curbside pickup product execution this omni experience at target and walmart that's still very true however you know as we all saw um, there was too much home product big and bulky and outdoor and the consumer shifted very rapidly and also anniversarying the stimulus was tougher than expected the consumer is still stable Unemployment at 3.6% is an attractive positive number, but at the low end, we're seeing in our research that consumers are spending less and being much more considered at the under 50,000 household income levels.
2: Stacey, Oliver brings up some interesting points about Walmart and Target. And, of course, it was last week that Target, early in the week, came out with the information about inventory and saying, look, we got to take even more drastic measures than what we had talked about with the, our quarterly results. What's your read-through on that, as you talked earlier, about inventory and what it means for the bulk of the year? Are we going to be seeing promotions and discounts right now? Maybe consumers can take advantage of it, but it could hurt the profitability of retailers, but then what does it mean for the balance of the year? Could they be caught short again when it comes to inventory levels?
9: Well, I think um, we have a database of 80 companies. We look at Europe and the U.S. and promotions year over year, and there's no doubt that things are accelerating on the promotional side. Um, We're also seeing, as I said, returns go way up, and, and that was something ASOS talked about today. In some of the stores, you see more bags coming back and going out. So at the low end or the end where people are very sensitive to rent and gas, um, it's it's absolutely a pressure here. But, you know, I think if, if Target has to have round two of slashing expectations because they're really that caught off guard, Things are changing very quickly. But I think, as Oliver said, you know, if you want to look at the long term and where the opportunities are, as I've said on your show, Target is, is the new department store. There's value there. And I think there'll be a lot of trade down to value. I think also a TJX where the consumer's saying, hey, I want to look for a treasure hunt and the best value out there. But to answer your question about the second half of the year, I do think investors, i sorry, retailers are going to become a lot more conservative on their purchasing. And perhaps that's the way to kind of cap off what we're seeing with all these huge promotions and maybe some some shortages out there.
2: Hmm. Stacey Whitlitz and Oliver Chen, this is an ever-changing space. Thank you for joining us. And we'll have Great you back right. as we move forward. Well, coming up, a one-two punch. Why rising rates and a slowing economy could spell big trouble for the housing market. The risk of mortgage foreclosures, that's next. But first, as we head to break, check out the week's biggest Dow loser, Chevron, Salesforce, Dow, American Express, and Caterpillar. we are the winners? Well, only two Dow components in the green, week-to-date Boeing and Cisco. Stay tuned, you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. the housing market getting hit hard by rising rates and a weaker economy. So what if home prices fall? The last time that happened nationally was during the Great Recession, and it resulted in millions of foreclosures. So could that happen today? Highly unlikely, but there are some red flags. Diana Olick joins us with more. Good morning, Diana.
10: Good morning, Courtney. Now I'm going to throw out a lot of numbers at you, all thanks to Black Knight, but I promise it will make sense in the end. Look, for the 53.5 million first lien home mortgages in America today, the average borrower credit score is at a record high, 751. It was below 700 back in 2010, and thanks to the run-up in prices, those borrowers have record-tappable equity, and that is how much you can take out of your home and still leave 20 percent equity in it. It hit $11 trillion in total this year, up 34 percent from a year ago, really record low mortgage leverage today. So that's a significant cushion in case home prices soften or even fall, and it reduces investor losses in case of default. Now, negative equity today, nearly non-existent, even for struggling borrowers. So what about the riskier loans out there? There are just 2.5 million adjustable rate mortgages outstanding today. Compare that to 13 million in 2007, just before the subprime mortgage crash. Today, 1.4 million of those are facing higher resets, and yes, those loans are at risk. But back in 2007, about 10 million of those were facing resets. But mortgage delinquencies are now at a record low, just under 3% of mortgages currently past due. And even with that jump in delinquencies during the first year of the pandemic, there are currently 300,000 fewer past due mortgages than there were even before the pandemic. Now, there are still about 300,000 borrowers who have exhausted their pandemic-related forbearance programs, and they are still delinquent. So could they sell the homes? Possibly, but that's one to watch. Now, the real risk to the housing market right now is recession if people start to lose their jobs and they can't make those payments. Courtney.
2: All very interesting, Diana, and I appreciate that a lot of that seems sort of silver lining-ish on a week where things have been a little rough. So not seeing major risks of foreclosures, that's a good thing. But what about the overall market?
10: Well, it's affordability. That's the problem. Even though we're seeing slower sales, higher mortgage rates, there's still this supply and demand issue. So there's not enough supply on the market. There is still some demand from people. And what's happening is people are going to start to stretch even more. They've already been stretching to afford their homes. So what happens then if they're in a home that perhaps they bought in the last year or so, they really stretch. And then because of recession, because of the economy, they start to be unable to afford to make those payments. That's a real one to watch. And also just for the overall health of the housing market, you're seeing this stagnation because sellers don't want to sell because they're concerned they're not going to get the price they want and then what are they going to move to? And buyers don't want to buy because they're afraid they're at the top of the market or they just simply can't afford it.
2: You had some interesting information yesterday too about how maybe twenty percent growth in housing prices isn't going to continue, but that's fairly abnormal anyways. <laughs>
10: I think fairly abnormal. That's incredibly <laughs> yeah. abnormal. That's record high. Look, average is about 4 to 6% depreciation, and we should see it come back, perhaps flatten for a little bit. But the question is, do prices actually go lower? I don't actually think so. Hmm.
2: Very interesting stuff, Diana. We'll be following along closely with all the developments. Thanks for joining us this morning. Well, on deck, FANG's fall. Tech stocks once again taking the brunt of the selling this week. We'll talk to top-ranked analyst Mark Mahaney about what investors should ins- expect there. That's coming up next. And throughout June, we are celebrating Pride Month. As we head to break, here is Ryan Ruggiero. He's CNBC Senior Director of Diversion, Equity, and Inclusion.
3: The most important thing that I want people to know about the LGBTQ community is that we are everywhere. We are CEOs, CFOs, actors, doctors, lawyers, football players, and we are journalists. We are also so appreciative of the many LGBTQ trailblazers and allies that continue to help create change in our community. We are not going anywhere, and we will continue to stand united in the face of injustice until we are all treated equally under the law.
2: It's been a wild week for the markets, and it's not slowing down anytime soon. Here is a taste of what's on tap for the Fed. Powell testifies on Capitol Hill next week, and then we get the latest Fed minutes. In energy, an OPEC meeting wraps up the month, followed by President Biden's trip to the Middle East. On the data front, the jobs report is just two weeks away, followed by yet another read on consumer prices. Back on Wall Street. It's been a rough ride for big tech, with the Nasdaq falling more than 4% just yesterday and on track for a more than 6% loss for the week. This index is now nearly 35% off its all-time high, which was hit just back in January. A closer look at the biggest names in the space and where they stand from recent all-time highs. Look at Meta Platforms. That's Facebook's parent company, down 58%. Apple, down 29%. Amazon, off 45%. Netflix, shedding 75% of its value from those recent highs, and Alphabet down 30%. So joining me now is Evercore ISI Senior Managing Director and Head of Internet Research, Mark Mahaney. Mark, good morning. Thank you so much for joining us here this morning. I think the big question we're all wondering is, what's going to happen in tech? Is the sell-off going to continue And then as an addendum, is now the time to have a strong stomach and buy into some of these companies whose valuations have been a little bit too lofty for a little bit too long?
11: Okay, so uh, we've been in a risk off year, uh, to put it mildly. That's a nice way to say it. Uh, We're now starting to get to the point where um, we've had dramatic uh, derating. Multiples have come down uh, across most of big tech, almost all tech Uh, That's because of, uh, you know, uh, rising inflation has led to concerns over rising rates. And if you have long duration assets where you have high multiples and future profits, that's always a negative environment for uh, these kind of stocks. So that's why the multiples have come down. But now we're getting into the recession risk, which is if there's a recession, all of these stocks are very strongly cyclical. So uh, you're going to have to have uh, estimates revisions. And I think that's what the market is now insisting on, demanding on. Estimates need to come down for a good number of these stocks if The market is going to soften, and until we know whether that's the case or not, uh, I think these stocks are going to remain under pressure.
2: And so, if they remain under pressure, does that mean that we should wait a little bit? If you have money to put into tech and you want to go there, is now still not the time? Does it sound like you think things are going to continue to fall a little further? So, wait for that entry point.
11: So, I guess the question is: uh, Are we going into recession? If we are, how severe is it, and how much of that is estimated in? In other words, how much do the estimates? Really need to come down on some of these names. So take an Amazon, for example, you mentioned that uh, that's off uh, you know, 40% a year to date. One of the issues that Amazon's had is that it's fully exposed to all these macro trends. I mean, it is one of the most, uh, you know, with one and a half million employees, uh, very deep supply chains that go back into China, huge exposure to fuel costs, labor costs, input costs trucking services, you, you know, you name it, uh, uh, shipping container costs, it is, macro, it is as macro-exposed as a company can be. And uh, you need to have a moderation in inflation for uh, for the market to start having confidence that those estimates don't need to get uh, cut again in the back half of this year. And then there's the issue about the demand. I guess when the answer to answer the question, Courtney, is you sort of have to answer for yourself, are you going to be a trader or are you going to be an investor? My guess is that if you're willing to uh, take on risk near-term volatility, near-term that you're going to get a really good return buying these assets if you look out a year or a year and a half. But that, you know, the next 10 percent move in these stocks could just as easily be down as these estimates get cut. The next 50 percent move in these stocks, I'm pretty certain is going to be up if you if you've got a 12 to 18 month investment horizon.
2: Hmm. Okay, so assuming that maybe you are looking at a longer horizon, it does look like you've made some changes, some rotations in some of your top picks. What are you looking at right now for your top picks in the mega and large cap tech space?
11: you know I, I want to be as defensive as possible and the issue is that there's not much that's really defensive in uh, in tech um, uh, so what i want to do is find what i call dhqs these dislocated high quality companies uh, you know I'll, I'll stick with amazon just a little longer which is it's still the leader global leader in cloud computing and cloud computing is going to be growing over the next one three and five years irregardless of whether we're having a recession near term it's still the leader in online retail globally and that's one of the three or four biggest uh, leaders uh, globally in terms of online advertising. So that story is well intact. Now, there's some operational issues near term, and then there's this massive um, uh, exposure to inflation risks and to consumer Mm. softening. But nonetheless, like the long term thesis, I think, is really well intact in a name like that and on Google. So I'm looking for the highest quality uh, assets. They are dislocated. Here's your chance to actually buy you know, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Google at, uh, at pretty substantial discounts. A couple of these names, especially Amazon's 40 percent off its historic multiples. That has to be attractive, even if you think estimates still need another five, 10 percent cut. Hmm.
2: I'm, I'm interested in, in hearing a little bit more about why Lyft and Match Group and I guess Airbnb okay. as well still look good to you in this reopening trade. If we're looking at potentially going into a recession, does that thesis still stand for those three?
11: I'm not sure it does. um, But I will make the point that there's some, you know, the one area of consumer spend that so far has held up uh, beautifully or extremely well is travel. So we've got a record record. Leisure travel um, uh, summer uh, coming up, or that's what we're in now. So names like um, Booking, Expedia, and mm-hmm. uh, Airbnb in the space that I look at, I think are fully levered to that. One of the reasons I particularly like Booking, by the way, BKNG, right. uh, is that I refer to it as a Venn diagram stock. <laughs> it's high quality. That, that that business model, that balance sheet, that management team have been battle tested. It's a high highly profitable, uh, well, really well. Um, uh, financed a uh, uh, balance sheet, plenty of cash. They buy back stocks. You got high quality, and it's a clear recovery play as people travel. So right. you know that that to me is one of the few safe havens, <laughs> and it's pretty much trading in line with this S and P 500. Again, there's not too many places to hide in tech, unfortunately.
2: Right. Yeah. Well, Mark Mahaney, thank you for helping us parse through it. I know there's a lot of moving parts there. We do appreciate you joining us here this morning, and we will watch for what's Thanks to come in the me. day and week. Score tech. That does not press on Worldwide Exchange. Stick with CNBC, though. Squawk Box is next.
1: You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern, only on CNBC.
10: Is this house a good price compared to others in the area? Are prices going up or down? If I don't make an offer right this very moment, will I miss my chance? These are just some of the questions a home buyer might ask. And these are the sorts of questions an agent who is a Realtor can help answer. Because Realtors have the expertise, data, and access to specialty training to help you navigate the process of buying a home. They provide support, guidance, and have your back every step of the way. That's what Realtors do. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.